Good morning, church. How many of you struggle with impatience? You might be asking, is that a trick question, Aaron? But it's not. To some extent, right, we all struggle. We want instant gratification in our fast-paced world. Maybe you've asked or been asked, your parents know, can, can we open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve? And then it ends up being like December 18th when the kids start asking or when you get that birthday card in the mail from grandma and grandma says, you know, don't open this till your birthday. And of course, none of us wait. We always open it before our birthday. Maybe like me, reading a physical book can be hard. I, I recently learned this as I was opening up some new books and starting to read them. My eyes don't move as fast as my ears can listen to things at double speed. Uh, and so I have to teach myself about patience. Well, as we cast a vision for the church, some of you may be thinking, a seven-year plan is really quick. It hasn't even been three years, Aaron, since you've been here. We're just becoming a church family. Why, why would we change a good thing? Some of you, on the other hand, might think that seven years is too long. Let's get to things now. Seven years is like an eternity. Who even remembers what happened in 2016, except maybe an election? Does 2016 seem like a long time ago? Or just the other day? Does 2030 seem far away, or is it too soon? And as we consider Ezra 3 this morning, whether slow or fast, remember these words of the Apostle Peter. Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. So God's goal is that all of us should reach repentance, a change, a turning from sin, an adjustment of our heart, a hatred of sin. James Boyce, he calls repentance, sorrow for sin accompanied with a determination by the help of God to sin no longer. Ezra 3 will show us this. We will see the Israelites unified in their work, in their worship, and most importantly, in their repentance. Look with me at Ezra 3 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I will read the entire chapter. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jezodak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, 
as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a free will offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from their captivity. They appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord, and Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites, heads of his father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. And so, Father, would you help us to see and behold wondrous things in your word? Would you help us to see ways in which we need to repent? Would you help us to see ways in which we need to work together and worship you and be submitted to you in your word this morning? Speak through my mouth to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recall our first point this morning is that they were unified in work. So the text says, with a timestamp, it's the seventh month now. When the people of Israel returned to, to Jerusalem, they began, they began with an occupation for their own needs. They got their own houses together, like many of us would if we moved from an area into a new area. And then they realized they came to build the temple. And so 18 to 24 months have passed since Cyrus was stirred by the Lord. And maybe a long time that maybe not. Here their personal work changed to community work, and it was time to build an altar, ASAP. Verse 1 says, they gathered as one man at Jerusalem. They gathered for one purpose. They gathered to work together. They gathered to worship together, and it led to them repenting together. 
And so as they were in Israel, in Jerusalem, the calendar kept moving. And if they were to follow the law of Moses, they needed to prepare for the festivals. The festival of trumpets, the day of atonement, the tabernacles, which we saw Jesus celebrate in the Gospel of John. And here we have the civic leader, Zerubbabel, the religious leader, Jeshua. They gather everyone together. And they followed God's word. It says, as it is written, where God's word is a powerful tool and God uses it to accomplish his purposes. And it's now when I weekly get to remind us as a church, we should be reading our Bibles. Because how would we know if we are following God's word as it is written if we don't know what is written? And this is a simple way, church, that is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And so the text says that they gather and build an altar for fear of the peoples of the land. So that for 70 years, other folks had moved into Judea and Jerusalem. And often deities are tied to nations in those days. In their minds, borders kept deities out or kept their deities in for protection. For example, in Moab, they worshipped Chemosh. The Canaanites worshipped Baal. And so to reestablish that the nation is in Israel, to reintroduce the nations to the Lord, to rebuke the fear of the nations around them, they reset the altar of burnt offering on its old foundation on the sacred site so that everyone would know our God is here to stay. Your Bible may say that they set up an altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land, which is what I read. But it could also be translated, they set up an altar in its place for fear was on them in spite of the people in the land. It didn't matter to them who was around them. They were afraid, yet they had courage. And courage isn't a lack of fear, it's the will to act in spite of fear. This month-long, or there was a month-long, excuse me, the month-long battle of Iwo Jima was some of the fiercest fighting in the Pacific during World War II. And when the U.S. prevailed, there were six Marines that raised a flag at the highest point on the island to make a statement. The U.S. has won and is here to stay. Together, Israel figuratively planted the flag. We are here to stay. They are claiming Israel and the temple belong to the Lord. The nations around them are put on notice. Look at that first paragraph. Together they followed the customs. They kept the feast. They offered sacrifices and gave offerings. They set the altar. They offered burnt offerings. They began to offer burnt offerings. They gave the money. They, 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 they. As one commentator suggested, at first they exercised every care to follow correct procedure in order to maintain the benefit of divine protection. Second, they refrained from inciting opposition by not rebuilding the temple at its early stage. But now they have the confidence and they have courage in the face of opposition. And so friends, they worked together and they started to worship together. They celebrated the Day of Atonement where the sacrificial lamb was spread, the blood was spread over the doorpost to protect the people of God from the destruction that was to come for the firstborn sons of Egypt when they were killed. They celebrated the Feast of Booths, remembering the exodus from Egypt, otherwise known as Tabernacles. But verse 6 reminds us the foundation of the temple was still incomplete. They came to Jerusalem for one purpose. 
not for an altar, not for a foundation, but to build the temple. The first step is complete, but they needed to get on to the next. And so they were unified in their work. They gathered the materials and the craftsmen. They became of one mind to work on the temple. But then verse 8 jumps in the calendar to the second year. Six to eight months pass, and the civic leader and the religious leader are still guiding things, and we start to see some fruit. And so for two and a half chapters into Ezra, it's been almost three years. Maybe that seems like a long time. Maybe it seems too quick. Maybe our plans will take a long time. Or maybe it will seem too quick for you. But in the work of God, in the work of God that he has called us to, we're going to need to work and have a balance of patience and passion as we work together. An example of this is a guy reached out to me a couple days after our family gathering. When we had cast some vision, if you recall, for a building, our community, to, Lord willing, plant a church in the next seven years, because that's what healthy churches do. And so he said he wants to plant a church in Vermont. I knew him. He came and visited at one point, yet I was not expecting him to want to come here. He wanted to go to another location, but he asked if he could come and grow into a potential plant down the road, maybe even here with us at Cornerstone. So I had a bit of a laugh at God's sense of humor, because immediately after we cast the vision, God had someone call me to maybe even help with some of that vision. So our elders and deacons, we've talked about it, and we don't know if he will plant one day, but we invited him to visit in the month of February. He'll stay at our house. I told him that we wouldn't be planting anything for a long time, maybe five, six, seven years down the road, and we need to have a balance of patience and passion. We aren't a stepping stone for his goals to plant a church down the road. But if the Lord wills, then we can jump on board, and he can be part of us, and we collectively can plant a church together as a body of believers. And I was reminded in God's providence, as I started out the new year, I was rereading uh, Pilgrim's Progress, an allegory of the Christian life. And we see two kids called Passion and Patience meet this Christian on his walk. Passion wants everything now. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, yet it's often and eventually wasted away. The lottery is a good example of this. It was over a billion dollars this past Friday, and many people wasted 10, 20, hundreds of dollars to try and get a quick fix to their life. On the contrary, patience has wisdom. Patience keeps the best for last. Patience looks to future glory. But that often takes time. The glory of the next world will never pass away, and patience has value. Passion, on the, on the contrary, has deception. God's promises help us to live with an eternal perspective, with patience. And so whether long or short, we'll see what God will do down the road. And so this brother, Gabe, is he's welcome to come. He's welcome to join us, to get to know us, to love and serve us and with us. And we, in turn, will do the same for him. And so back to the text, the people of God, they work together. They were of one mind. And so pray with us. Pray if the Lord wills to help that to take place here, that we would be of one mind. Paul exhorts the Philippian church in Philippians 2. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so who we are in Christ will determine how we work, unified for the sake of others, in the name of the Lord, to be magnified and worshipped in our church and the community in which we live. And our unity is in God. Paul tells the Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so, friends, reconciled to God, we are united as a body of believers by the Spirit of God because of the salvation we have in Jesus, who rules us and leads us, whom we have put our faith in. And then we are baptized into a body of Christ and unified together. And so, therefore, friends, we work together. Because of who God is and what he has done, the Israelites worked together. They then worshiped together. Our second point this morning, recall all those festivals and offerings. Once the altar was restored and the foundation was laid, look at verse 10. It says, they got the band together, trumpets and cymbals, probably the kid with the little triangle thing, to worship and praise the Lord. The words here in verse 10, to praise the Lord, are the Hebrew, halal Jehovah, or a hallelujah. When you hear the words hallelujah, maybe you think of Leonard Cohen's song. Maybe you think of the crazy lady in the church raising her hand saying, praise the Lord, like Kristen's aunt does. The word hallelujah literally just means praise the Lord, to give God the praise that he is due. They praise God for who he is, ascribing to him his worth because he keeps his promises. So even in the discipline that they experienced for 70 years in Babylon, praise the Lord. In the slow and steady progress, praise the Lord. Where God forgives, he gives grace, and he has returned the people back to the promised land. Praise the Lord. They praise God for what he has provided, the return, the altar, the foundation, their progress. They praise God for what he has done, even the slow and steady progress. Verse 11 shows us what they say. He's good. Because of the 70 years of struggle are over, he's good. Patiently, he didn't destroy them in Babylon, even their continued sin. He's good. Over three long years, just a foundation is complete. He's good. And the age-old question, how can God be good if he allows bad things to happen? Often, that question is left unanswered. And we know God is good because the Bible tells us so. But that doesn't mean we just sit there and have to endure quietly like on a timeout. And God's people often cry out or they lament, Why? How? God, does this happen? Yet trusting his goodness because our perspectives are limited, we acknowledge he's good. Remember, just three years ago, the Israelites were in Babylon. It wasn't a good situation. But it's often in the midst of our pain and our suffering when we feel draw God draw closest to us. I read this recently about the pastor Charles Spurgeon, where he talked about personal suffering as kind of a prophet, a John the Baptist for us, roughly clothed, but heralding the eminent closeness of his Lord and Savior. So God has a purpose in allowing suffering. One purpose is we would go to God and cry out to him. The prophets cry out and lament as they went to exile while they were in exile, and God's people depend on him in their suffering. God is good as well because he sent his son. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death and he rose from the dead. 
God will completely defeat our enemies of Satan, sin, and death through the gospel by believing the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where we are delivered from the power and the penalty of sin, yet we all acknowledge its presence still remains today. Sometimes for a while. Sometimes for a short period of time. God is good. They also proclaim his love endures forever. Where his love is not dependent on whims and feelings, God's love is dependent on him. Where God is eternal, not only is his patience eternal, his mercy eternal, his grace eternal, his love is eternal, like his goodness. We know this verse, First, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And as Romans 5 says, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, friends, the love by which he saved us is the love by which we will be delivered from the pain and suffering in this world. It's God's mercy and his grace displayed in eternal love for you and for me. God is good. His love endures forever. This is their worship song. It's as though the writer of Ezra wishes to emphasize, despite the exile, despite the slow progress, that nothing has changed with God. God is good, and his love endures forever. And they sing this responsibly. They responded to the truth that they were experiencing. They didn't conjure up a feeling. Their experience caused them to respond in gratitude and adoration. In many churches... An upbeat song is used at the beginning to set the mood of a service, to get our mind in the right spot, to hear the word of God, to prepare our hearts. Our emphasis here is to set the stage for the word, maybe with some truths to sing or reminders to consider before we hear the word to prepare our hearts, not to conjure up some excitement to be with God's people. And then after we hear the word, we respond to the word of God heard, preached, and or read. Sometimes our response is a joyful adoration. Think of Easter Sunday. God, he rose from the dead. Praise the Lord. But sometimes our response is more contemplative. God, you've been so kind. I bow down before you in gratitude. Praise the Lord. And I think both ways are appropriate. We don't force excitement on a hard-hitting text. I've said before, let the posture of your body reflect the posture of your heart. And so if you want to respond to God by raising your hands and shouting out, praise the Lord in your adoration, then do it. But maybe you want to sit there in humility in your chair or bow your head in humility. God, praise the Lord. Our hearts drive our worship, and we can't help it. These people were united in their work. They were united in their worship, and Israel's heart of worship led them to repentance, which is our third point this morning. United in work and worship, they became united in repentance. And they shouted for joy as the foundation of the temple was laid. In the last paragraph, we see the worship turn to weeping. The priests, the Levites, some of the older men, they're weeping. They see the old house, or they saw the old house. They must have been at least 80 years old probably at this point. 
They experienced the desolation. They were taken to Babylon. They endured the suffering for 70 long years. They remembered the old temple, the massive old stones that it was set upon. Not the small ones there currently. The first time our family came to the East Coast was about five years ago, and we ended up in New York City. We visited the World Trade Center site. Today, today there are beautiful new buildings, an amazing pool, memorial to those who lost their lives. My kids saw the pool, and they ran up to the memorial to take a look and joy. But it was hard for me. I remember the towers. I recall the day exactly where I was, who I was with. My first visit to New York City was in October 2001, a month after 9-11, and I recalled my visit that day five years ago or so, and the smell and the dust still in the air from that first trip. My kids didn't know that. Sometimes memories can be good. Sometimes they're hard. I think these memories for the older folks led Israel to repentance. Older folks get this, I think, better than the younger people do. And it caused these guys to weep. To weep over their sins and the sins of their ancestors. But we remember God is good and his love endures forever. They likely also wept over their present sins, but God is good and his love endures forever. They were unified in their repentance. And repentance, as we began, is not just being sorry for our sin or regretting maybe they got caught. It's a heartfelt desire to never sin again and putting forth grace-driven effort to put sin to death. Repentance is just as much a gift as faith is. One pastor divined it like this. He said, genuine repentance pleads with the Lord to forgive and deliver from the burden of sin and the fear of judgment and hell. I think older folks get this a lot more. Where they look back at their lives and many have regrets. They can't change the past. But a proper response to God is, please, God, don't let me do that again. And so this was a strange worship service. There was a mixture of joy and there was a mixture of tears. Where God's actions and God's words touch many people in different ways at different times. Every pastor hears from time to time, I felt like you were talking to me. No, that was for your husband. We, we deliver as pastors and we trust God with the fruit. Zechariah, the contemporary of Ezra, said this, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's the civic leader in our text this morning. The foundation alone is set. It's the small acts of faithfulness over a long haul which produce a lot of fruit. It's the constant tending and caring for the soil season after season that leads to great garden beds in the spring, which might be soon based on the weather we have. It's the consistent nurturing of a child and leading and guiding them that helps them to know the way that they should go when they are older. There's a reason why many professions have apprenticeships, residencies, or externships. I don't want my pipes to leak, and I want my house to not catch on fire. Doctors do residencies because they need experience. When Wesley broke his hand recently, the first diagnosis was no big deal by the resident. But then the doctor came in, who's probably spent decades looking at x-rays. And now he has a cast for three months. It's a significant break that he had in his hand. Israel was humbled here. They saw their need for a savior. Standing at the foundation of the temple, they knew what took place there. Sacrifices for sin. 
They built the altar for sacrifices. Isaiah the prophet heard this from the Lord as he started his ministry in Israel, was getting ready to be taken off into exile. The Lord said to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1, What is it to me, the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. But then the Lord says this a few verses later in Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. They shall be white. They will be made white. Passively, friends, your sins will be covered by believing in Jesus. Some of you may have tears of humility, even right now. Some of you may want to jump for joy. And that's worship. Maybe you, some of you should repent for the first time even today. Believe the gospel, friends, where Israel, we learn, has been humbled. Coming back to the land, the great nation is now small and weak. The huge and extravagant and beautiful temple is now small and dingy. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. God's glory had left the temple. Yet God has not abandoned his people. He is good, and his love endures forever. I made some copies of the vision document if you want a refresher. It's in the back on the table. But friends, let's be unified in the work. Maybe you need to repent of that not serving, not giving to the work of the church, not taking a stand for God's name to be known in our community, like planting a flag. Do you need to repent of not having courage in the midst of fear? Friends, this is not a follow me, guys, and let's go. It's a let's do this together. So let's serve one another. And let's serve our community. Let's not just watch from the sidelines and see what happens. Let's be unified in our worship. Do you need to repent of not being grateful to God for who he is and what he has done for you? Do you not believe that he is good or his love doesn't endure forever? At times our worship will be joyful. At times mourning is justified. But God is good and his love endures forever. And I hate to break it to you, but forever is a long time. But maybe in a short amount of time, we could believe that. Let's also be unified in our repentance. Let's mourn with those who mourn. Let's rejoice with those who rejoice. Let's love one another as we want to be loved. Let's call sin, sin. But let's declare the gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins to each other in the process. So friends, we need each other. There's no plan B for God in the world other than his church. Israel's sadness turns to great joy. Where faithfulness leads to joy. They longed for a temple, but more importantly, they longed for a God who is good and a God who loves them. This whole thing is not about a vision to improve our building or plant a church. It's a vision to help us love God and love others, to worship him, for others to want to do the same thing with us, to join us in repentance as we grow in repentance ourselves. It may take a while. Maybe it'll be quick. God produces fruit at the speed he stirs within us faithfulness. In Christ, friends, we have everything we need. 
And I think small acts of faithfulness over a long haul will equal great fruit in the end, little by little. Remember Peter's words, that all should reach repentance, a change, a turning from sin, an adjustment of the heart, a hatred of sin. Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to repent of our sin as a gift of grace by your Spirit to believe in your Son as substitution for our death, for the penalty of our sins, that he rose from the dead to give us newness of life. And as Martin Luther says, that all of the Christian life is that of repentance. And so God, would you help us day by day to put our sin to death, to put on Christ, to repent and turn to you, and that you would help us to call others to do this with us, even in this church. You would help us to do this in our community as we call people to turn to you, to turn from their sin, to follow you, to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to join us in making disciples of all nations, including the nation that we live in, the community that we live in, the neighborhoods that we live in, the stores that we shop in. God, would you help us? And so, God, we ask you for your help right now. You would help to unify us in our work, and you would help us to unify us in our worship, which we want to do right now. And we thank you and we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.